Blog Talk Radio. morning, this is Vincent Davis, and I'm an attorney in California, and I practice primarily in the area of defending people against child protective services. Uh, today we have a special show for you. Uh, first, I'm going to give you some uh, tips to help yourself and your attorneys in your juvenile dependency cases, and then I'm going to be taking a few calls, and then I'm at 8.30, um, we're going to have a special guest um, whose name is Helen, and she has a very interesting story to tell about uh, a CPS and a family law case, and I think it's going to be quite surprising when you hear her story. Um, the first thing that I want to do is I want to talk to you folks about uh, California Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309. I'm going to repeat that again so you can write it down. California Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309. This is a, an extremely important code section in our laws relating to CPS cases in California. And I'm pretty sure that in all states they have a similar statute uh, and you should talk to your attorney about finding that statute and what it says. Hopefully, it mimics the California law. What the California law says is that whenever children are taken away from parents, the social worker has to do everything possible on placing those children with relatives. And those can be relatives within your county. They can be relatives outside of your county. They can be relatives outside of your state. They can be relatives outside of the country. So what I have most of my clients do in certain situations when these children are removed is I have them make a list of 25 names, addresses, telephone numbers, and emails of relatives or family friends close family friends, who would be a positive influence in the case for the parent as well as the child. And we give that, that list to the social worker. The social worker, in turn, has to investigate, in my opinion, as the statute reads, all of those relatives. Now, this becomes important because in case children aren't returned to the, to the parents, um, within the first 6 to 12 months, there is a possibility that these children can be adopted by strangers and taken away from the family. So, for example, I recently, uh, it's been about a year, represented six family members who came to me very late in the case. And they had even made some attempt to get the child placed with them, um, but their uh, attempts were ignored or rebutted by CTS. When I came into the case very late, I told them that it might be unlikely, or there might be a possibility that the child would not be returned to them since the child had been living with a foster parent and had become bonded and emotionally, physically, and psychologically uh, to this foster parent. Well, we had a trial, and uh, the judge, <clears throat> I know in his heart, wanted to return this child to the relatives, but he didn't. He followed what he believed the law was, and he uh, allowed the child to stay with the foster parent and be adopted by the foster parent. Had these relatives come forward early, which they did in this case, and gotten the proper legal representation, they would have been able to get that child into their home. Now, it makes no difference that these relatives now can go to 
courts to a civil court, state or federal, and sue the social workers for not placing this child with them, for not finding them at the beginning of the case. All these relatives are going to do is to be able to get money. And money is not the same thing as getting the child back. So remember Section 309 of the Welfare Institutions Code. At the beginning of the case, at every hearing, you and your attorney should be fighting to get these children placed with relatives. I read Section 309 probably a year ago, and uh, I was surprised at what the statute now says. Um, It says that in every report, the social worker must report on uh, possible placements of children with relatives. And I can tell you in practicing in this area of law, in many different counties within the state of California, I rarely see that. Occasionally, I will see a mention of a relative. And, you know, whether that relative can take the child or whether that relative can't take the child. But under Section 309 and its corollary, California Rule of Court, there must be a section, a substantive and substantial section, talking about why this child or these children can't be placed with relatives. I've even argued that um, to a couple of courts that we can't go forward with the case at the dispositional phase unless the social worker provides that in her report or his report. Um, I haven't been successful in making that argument, but I'm going to continue making that argument until I can get some judge or some court of appeals to back me up. Because I think this is very important. Because in my opinion, and I've been doing this, I've been a lawyer about 29 years. And I've been doing this type of law since January of 1989. And in my opinion, the majority of, of social workers, not all, but the majority of social workers don't seem to be keen on following Section 309. Now, a lot of social workers will pay lip service to the fact that, that they want to produce, or excuse me, they want to place children with relatives, but it's not in their report. And sometimes both my clients and I get the feeling that if the social worker uh, doesn't like the client or doesn't like me, which is sometimes the case, um, they do everything to keep the child away from being placed in relative, with relatives. I know that sounds hard to believe. Sometimes it's difficult to prove, but being in the trenches every day, representing people in, in these CPS courts, you know, around the state of California, um, that's the impression I sometimes get. Now, I'm not saying all social workers are bad. I've met a lot of good social workers. I've met a lot of bad social workers. And I've met a lot of social workers in between. It's kind of like a bell curve in statistics. There are good ones, there are bad ones, and there's a lot in between. And it depends on, you know, the social workers. Sometimes it seems like their caseload is too large or they have become too indifferent to dealing with these types of cases. So please, at the very beginning of the case, talk to your attorney. Make the move to get these children placed with friendly relatives. And I stress friendly relatives. Sometimes if you have an unfriendly relative, that could be worse than having the child placed in foster care. Um, I want to give you, and I use this example a lot, what happens in a lot of cases where um, children are taken away from parents, the parents become embarrassed about their situation, and they don't want to place, they don't want to let relatives know about the children being taken away. I remember one case where it was a drug case and, and the client had been accused of abusing heroin and the client didn't want the parent, uh, his parents to find out where the child was and didn't even want to tell the parents about this case uh, because he was embarrassed that his child was taken away because of drug use. It was his plan to rehabilitate himself and to uh, get the child back before the family knew anything had happened. Well, Of course, as you might guess, um, he never rehabilitated. Uh, When the family finally found out, we were about 14 months down the road, and and when the family found out, um, they immediately came forward to try to get the child, but it was too late. 
this young child had been living with a, a family, a strange family at the beginning, but had been accustomed and grown emotionally and physically and psychologically attached to these folks over, you know, whatever it was, the 15 months the child had been living there. Very young, young child. <clears throat> and in that case, the family did not get the, parent, uh, get the child close with them. So no matter what has happened, get your family involved from the beginning so that they can go to court, they can talk to the social worker uh, about getting this child placed. And if it doesn't happen immediately or quickly, and you and your relatives get the feeling that the social worker doesn't want to place the child with the relatives, then they should contact a competent attorney so that they can go to court and file the proper paperwork to get this child placed with them. In the proper paperwork, I'll just give you a list of things that I file in most cases in this type of situation for relatives. I file what's called a de facto motion, number one. Number two, I file what's called a 388 petition. Uh, number two, number three, I file a request to disclose juvenile court records because you got to find out what the case is all about. And a relative who is not a party to the case is not entitled to this information. So you have to file that request to get the uh, information about the child and about this case. The other things that I file, which are very provocative and which get a lot of people, you know, jumping up and down, I file also a petition for temporary guardianship and a petition for um, permanent guardianship. And I'm not going to go into why I do that and how, you know, all the different reactions I get from doing that. But suffice it to say that those are the things that I file in each case. Okay, I'm getting a lot of calls backed up here, so I'm going to start taking some calls. Uh, the first person has a code 661 and a ends in 28. Uh, good morning. You're on Blog Talk Radio with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. What's your first name? Tanya. Tanya, what's your story or question you want to share with us this morning? Um, I'm. Are you aware? Do you receive my email the other day? Uh, Tanya, I I, di I probably did. I don't have it in front of me, um, and we're on live. Do you have a a question or a story you'd like to share with us? Yes, I wanted um about 49 days ago they um falsely arrested me and they took my son and um they make a long story short all I proved all allegations against me untrue and so they came at me with well somewhere down the line you had to have known that your um son's dad used drugs so you failed to protect him and so I'm taking it to trial and I asked for my 10 day speedy trial and I was denied that and I'm looking for your help to help me get back my son. Okay, well, let me ask you a few questions. When did they take your son away from you? What month? On oct October 8th. Of this year? Yes. Okay, and well, it's December 12th. You haven't had a trial yet? No, um, no, I haven't. They, okay, they so told me that I had to wait um, four months. Four months? Yeah, and I asked for my 10-day um, speedy trial. Okay. Um, do you have a private or court-appointed attorney? A court-appointed attorney, but she won't even let me talk. She don't want to listen to anything I say. Okay. Um, what uh, courthouse are you in? An Antelope Valley, um, Lancaster. Okay. So um, I'm familiar with both of the judges out there. I mean, they're not friends of mine, but I know who they are, and they're and they're. Uh, in my experience, have been very good judges in cases that we've done. Um, what you can do, and what I would suggest that you do, is you uh, uh, email your attorney and ask your attorney um, if there is anything that you can do to get a new trial date, an earlier trial date. Um, also, there are some appellate remedies that you can take. You, you might be able to file what's called a writ to the California Court of Appeal. And that writ order the court, trial court, to have your trial on an earlier date. I'm okay. not sure. You know, 
sometimes the strategy, and I hope all my listeners are, are listening to this, sometimes the strategy might be, the best strategy might be able to delay your trial. Now, I don't know all of the facts about your case, but... Oh, yeah, um, no. Sometimes, you know, and I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes, you know, a delay in the trial might be helpful to you. Um, what I would suggest is um, that you do this. You email your attorney and you ask the attorney to, uh, if you can, you know, have a meeting with them so that you can discuss the pros and cons of having a speedy trial versus waiting for months. There is a law in California that your disposition hearing, which I call the second trial, has to take place within 60 days unless you waive that. Now, I don't know if you've waived that or if your attorney has waived that, but, you know, having a trial four months down the road after the child is taken, that's a little bit, in my opinion, might be, uh, might have violated your rights. So if you, if you ask for a speedy trial, you know, what they call a no time waiver trial, um, the judge is supposed to give it to you. Um, and if the judge didn't give it to you, you might have the right to take that up on what's called a writ, which is you know, a shortcut and speedy appeal. Um, okay. did, did you actually hear the judge say, I'm not going to give you a speedy trial? Or She said that um, they were too busy, that they didn't have time, and they, the date was already set. And I said, how is the date already set if you guys are barely calling my case right now? And the judge got mad at me for talking. Well, from what you told me, and I know, you know, sometimes there's another side to this, what you told me seems to be um, not proper, and it's something that you should definitely talk with your attorney about, um, about, you know, perhaps going to the Court of Appeals. If you'd like to uh, discuss this in further detail with me, please give me a call on Monday, um, and if I'm not there, leave a message and, and, and remind me that we spoke on the radio on Saturday. And I'll give okay. you a call back to get more in detail about your case. Is that okay. fair? Yeah, All that right, sounds awesome. For, all right, thank you for your call. Bye-bye. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that sounds a little bit unusual, having a trial four months down the line after they've taken your child. Uh, that's not to say I haven't seen that happen. That's not to say that I haven't done that myself. But um, if you ask for a speedy trial, you're supposed to get one. Okay, I'm going to take another call from area code 562, number ending in 5-4. Good, good morning. You're on the radio with um, Attorney Vincent Davis. What's your question hello. or story? Hello? Yes, hello. Good morning. Yes. Um, I was calling... I think you're going to have to turn off your radio because I think you're going to have to turn off your radio because we're getting feedback there. Okay. All right. So, what's your question or story you want to share with us this morning? Okay. Um, back in uh, 2013, um, well, there was a I don't know there was a search warrant for. uh, a house where they found my grandkid's father. He was visiting his girlfriend, and uh, they found like paraphernalia and stuff like that. They took the kids from that house, okay. And then um, uh, he was on probation and all that. They brought him home. They didn't arrest him for anything or nothing. They brought him to his house where they came and they were looking for my daughter, which is the kids, my grandkid's mother, right? But the kids were, I had um, that worker that took the kids um, from that house. I had met her before because it was a voluntary case, but she knew I had came for, because I was living in Yucca Valley, and I came for, because I had my granddaughter with me, and I had came for my grandson, you know, because they were having problems, you know. And, um, well, to make the long story, she came from that house for the sentence of murder to his house to my mother's house, and came with no search warrant, I mean, no warrant, no cops, no nothing. And she said she has to, to detain my grandkids. Well, she, because um, they found the father over there at his girlfriend's house, you know. But, and then she just took him. Um, um, she, like, she didn't have, 
she came from, walked down a couple of houses, and other cops were over there at his house, and came with the kids, but I didn't let her in. Um, she said she needed to talk to my granddaughter, but when I turned around, she was already in the house. She walked in. My, my mom didn't even let her, but then she said she was going to take them, and I could pick them up, you know, if I just tested for her. I don't know why, and I haven't. Then she was going to give them back to me, and they never gave them back. And then we've been going back and forth, but they don't let me talk because it's, they took them, like, right from me, but they're saying that, you know, it was my, it's my daughter, and then they don't even let, it's, like, through court, they don't even let me talk or say, that, like, they said I could get them, and then the workers said they would help me. The only one that I got to talk to that listened was, like, the the one that's, Defending the, I guess for the kids, the DA, he listened, and um, but they still don't let me get them. Or they, you know, nothing. Now, um, a family member tried to get them. My mother came from out of town. I mean, she lives in Oregon, and they told her no. Well, I had to ask if she could get them. They said no, because she lives out of state. They can't take them out of state. But uh, my daughter didn't have a case, you know. Okay, well, and now, let me. In. Let me interrupt you for a second. So you are trying to get your grandchildren from a foster home into your home. Is that correct? Um, yeah, but they, um, they, even even if I can't get my mother came from out of state, you know, and they even said they, they were going to come check the house. The day that she was supposed to come back, she called me that same morning and said, well, where can we meet? Are you ready to check? I said, yeah, well, just tell me where do I got to go. And I said, but because I'm on the bus, whatever. Um, she goes, well, meet me. And she's sending me to, the, like, her Santa Fe Springs office when we're in Duarte, or she's in Pasadena, you know. She wanted to send me further. But after that, she gave me, said she was going to text me the address, and she never did. So I, okay. um, and yeah. they just, um, yeah. Um, I, I Just tell me yes or no. Are you trying to get some children placed in your custody? Yeah, but now they're they're saying that uh, my granddaughter told me that they're getting, that the social worker told them that they're gonna have a new family. Okay. Yes, I'm trying this to get them. Okay, hold on a second. So, did you hear the beginning of the show when I talked about Welfare and Institutions Code Section three zero nine? Yeah, excited. Okay, and I told you there were about three to five things you should be filing if you want those children in your custody. Did you hear me talk about that? Yes. Okay, so um, are you, do you have an attorney right now? Um, no, my daughter, the, she's in my court. My daughter has a, uh, uh, one from the court. And okay. uh, she, But do you personally, you're the relative who's trying to get custody, do you have an attorney? No. I I I only ask because I think this is something that you should speak to an attorney about who practices in this area of law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you can find those attorneys. Um are do you are you on the internet? Are you familiar with Google and you know and searching stuff? Yeah. I, okay. I I came up with the first one. I came up with your name the first time I ever looked. Okay. Your name. Okay. Well, this is what I would what I would like you to do. I'd like you to call my office, and if you have a pen, I'll give you the number. Okay. On Monday. Yeah, I'm a- Make an appointment with me to speak to me on the phone or in person, and I'll go into. Um, significant detail about your case and give you some good legal advice that hopefully that will be able to help you get these children placed with you, okay? Okay. Okay, so Yeah, call Monday. The telephone number, actually you can call today. My office is open from 9 to 5 today. My uh, secretary and receptionist are working today. You can call and make an appointment today if you'd like. The number is 
So that's triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Give us a call, make an appointment, and I'll be able to help you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I get a lot of calls every week from relatives who are trying to get their children, their grandchildren, their nieces and nephews, their cousins, their great nephews, great nieces out of foster care. And I always wonder why social workers aren't a little bit more, I guess, sensitive to the fact that children should be placed with relatives right from the get-go. My office did a case uh, this week, as a matter of fact, out in Riverside, and um, one of the children that was taken away from the mom uh, was an autistic child. And the attorney assigned to the case from my office went out to Riverside, and in two days, they had to have a two-day hearing uh, right at the beginning, which is very unusual. Um, The social workers... uh, and the judge agreed to return the children to the to the mother as long as she was living with the grandparents. And yesterday I got a phone, uh, just a, a very distraught grandfather calling me and um, complaining and sending me text pictures of the grandchild who was the autistic child. Um, apparently, um, because he's autistic and... Uh, the wherever he was placed, they weren't used to dealing with autistic children. They ducked the young, the young child's hands together, so he, I guess either you know to keep him out of trouble or, or, or what for whatever reason I don't know. But they returned to him with uh, his hands um, with physical injuries, and they were showing me these pictures, and I was um, uh, well, I, I was a little taken aback by what had happened to this child while the child was in foster care. And I, I advised the grandfather to take the child to the doctor to get a diagnosis. But this is the type of situation. You know, you take a child away from the family and the person who is not uh, used to taking care of this child doesn't know how to deal with this child because all children aren't the same and every family is different. And um, uh, something happens. Something happens that uh, should not have happened. So I'm going to take another call, and we're going to go to area code 951 with the number ending in 56. Okay. Hello. You're on the radio. Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, what's your question or story you'd like to share with us? Well, I have a question. Mine's kind of a long story. It involves my son. My grandson was removed from him about two years ago. He was a drug addict. He's now a recovering drug addict, clean for two years. He's followed everything that CPS gave him, and, and it was a lot. He followed every program, went to NA. He now has a full-time job. But unfortunately, he has a bad social worker, and he lost um, November. The judge stripped him of all his parental rights. They're appealing it. I don't know how that process works. But now he got a letter from child support. They actually want child support from him now, even though the state took his son. Can they do that? Well, um, the answer is Probably no. I mean, if they if he was stripped of his parental rights, he's no longer the father, and he no longer has an obligation to pay child support. If you're not the parent, you don't have to pay child support. Now, in my opinion, because we also do family law in our in our office, um, I have seen cases where some counties are trying to get money from people for child support, and they're not even the parents anymore. Um, I would like to think it's a mistake. You know, um, the child support department not talking to the uh, CPS department in each county. Well, they said the social worker initiated it because my son went down there. They were going to garnish his wages. And she said that the social worker initiated the, the child support, which I just find this whole thing is ridiculous. But to add that on top of it, it's just a stab in the heart after losing your child. You know, um, you're absolutely right. 
Um, what's now they can't force him to pay child support and they cannot garnish his wages unless they get a court order. And in order to get that court order from a family law judge, your son has to be notified, given the opportunity to appear with an attorney in family law court and fight the child support orders. He, you know, your child, I mean, your son is no longer the father. Okay. Well, so that same public defender that um, defended him for the child support, the child CPS, could be the same one then for this child support order. No, not the same public defenders? No, no. As a matter of fact, um, in most counties in California, you don't get a public defender for family law cases. And the child support is handled before a different judge. So Uh um, that case would be in front of, usually in a totally different building with a totally different judge. And like I said, they don't give uh, uh, court-appointed attorneys to represent people in child excuse me, in family law matters, and and child support is a family law matter. So he would have to get an attorney. Um, He would have to make sure that he goes to court when the hearing is and explain and fight this uh, in front of that judge. It's a good thing your son is is appealing, though, the uh, termination of his parental rights. But if he has any questions and he'd like to call me next week, like on Tuesday or Wednesday, I could go into further detail with your son about trying to fight the child support order out of your particular county. Which county are you in? Riverside County. Okay. Yeah. So just have him give us a call. Did you write down the number I gave an earlier uh, earlier caller? Yes, I did. You know, I, know, I got okay. another question for you. With this case being as old as it is, it's over two years. I just filed the JV-180 to try to get my grandson back, what do you think my chances are? Very slim. It depends upon the it depends upon the law the facts of the case actually. So I should I should take that back. It depends on the facts of the case. I don't know enough about the facts of the case, but your JV one eighty should be accompanied by um the I forget the the J V number, but what's basically a three eighty eight petition and uh, a petition to disclose uh, records, juvenile court records. You can find all those forms online by just Googling them. Um, You should specifically talk to an attorney who practices in juvenile dependency law to get some advice to find out the best way to approach this because you may only have one shot and you want to make sure that this one shot is your best shot. May I ask why you didn't go forward in the earlier part of the case to get the child placed with you? Well, here's the thing. Uh, our son resided with us, and we had the option of either kicking our son out and taking our grandson in or continuing to help our son with his recovery and get on his feet so he can get his son back because he has a felony. Okay, that doesn't matter that he has a felony. Um, no, and that's, and that's exactly why I said we had a bad social worker I mean, this case has gone on for years, and I'm so upset. I'm going to the county of Riverside. I'm going to go to the governor. What's happening to people is unbelievable what these courts think they can get away with. And same with the public defenders. They're not defending these people. I hear people calling in, you're not allowed to talk, and it's so wrong that they don't even speak for you in that courtroom. And I've watched it time and time again. Let me ask you something. What uh, courthouse in Riverside are you out of? Riverside, I think, has three juvenile courts, County Farm Road, Marietta. Yeah, County and, Farm Road. So you're, so you're in the main main juvenile courthouse in Riverside. Do you know what department you're in, J1 or J4? J1, it was uh, Judge Jackson. Okay. All right. Do you know, if, you know, Judge Jackson, my experience with her, she's been a very fair um judge in cases that we've appeared in front of her, uh, do you know if your son uh, filed a 388 petition to get the child back or to get further family reunification services before they terminated his parental rights? You know, I don't know, and that's the hard thing. I mean, when you walk into that courtroom, you only have 
to me, they've already talked about your case because they're out there asking you questions. They go back in. By the time you walk in, they're just citing a bunch of codes. You're just sitting there not knowing what's going on. Then the judge speaks and you walk back out again. Right. Except but for the last some, hearing. Well, there's something ahead, that your son, based upon what you've told me, that your son could have done um, before they terminated his parental rights. There's something called a 388 petition, and I describe that people I describe that as a a lifeline, uh, you know, uh, uh, the emergency hatch for parents who are in your son's position. They can file things uh, to get their children back. As a matter of fact, just out of coincidence, and I know I said I've always you know had we've had what we consider um, uh, good rulings by this judge. Not all for us, but um, a client came to me recently, and we just started representing him. Um, he filed a, a 388 petition, uh, in, and I think it was before Judge, before Judge Jackson, and Judge Jackson denied the 388 petition for, them, for this mother and father to get their children back. He appealed it, and he won. And um, so the case has been sent back to the trial court and Judge Jackson, and he's come to us to represent come to us to represent him, you know, in this new hearing before this judge. So I hope that your attorney or the attorney that was um, appointed to your son uh, did file that 388 petition because it sounded like your son was doing so well. Um, There is an argument, uh, and it's a very drastic argument, that you can make on appeal, and that's called ineffective assistance of counsel. And what that basically says is that if your court-appointed attorney or your private attorney didn't do what they could have or should have done, uh, that determination might be uh, reversed on appeal and your son given a second chance. I don't know enough about the case to give you an opinion about whether you know, um, this was an ineffective assistance of counsel case, but, you know, when you have uh, the termination of your parental rights, you want to make sure that you cover all arguments or at least consider all arguments uh, when you take the appeal. So if you'd like, please have your son call me. I can speak to him more in detail about the family law case and about the juvenile appeal. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Okay, right now it's getting late. We're running behind schedule as usual. I see there's still a lot of people um, on the line uh, in the in the calling queue, but I have to take a uh, a a call right now from a, a woman uh, who we represent, as a matter of fact. And I'd like you to hear her story. Um, you know, I thought I had heard everything. You know, doing this for so long, but there's always something new that comes up. And believe it or not, the social worker is not the bad guy in this particular story. So let's see if she's on the line. Hello, is this uh, Helen? Hi, good morning, Vince. Yes, this is Helen. Good morning. And we're not going to use your last name for confidentiality and privacy sakes. Helen, okay. thank you for calling. I thank you for calling in. First of all, I really appreciate you being able to share um, your story. Uh, with our listeners this morning, because it, it, it's a twist on the um, on the juvenile court system and how it's used uh, against people. And uh, in this particular case, there was no bad guy social worker. The bad guy turned out to be someone completely different. Do me a favor. Um, so as I recall correctly, you were referred to me by another attorney, right? Correct, yes. Okay. And you called me up and you told me a story and I suggested that we meet on a, I think it was on a Sunday because I, I, it was on a Sunday. It was, you were amazing. And if I can briefly interrupt, I thank you uh, for giving me this opportunity from day one and going above and beyond because I had a little bit of help. I was at a very desperate dark time and I had the assist, you know, uh, the help of this other attorney who doesn't practice this law, and we really tried to find the best of the best, and we came across you, and with his guidance and support, we called you in, you know, I think reaching out to us and getting back to us on a Sunday says and speaks volumes of 
you um, as an individual aside from an attorney. So I thank you, and um, I'm sorry. Go, go on. All right, cool. Thank you very much for that. So tell me the story. Tell our listeners the story from the beginning about what happened to you. Um, so April 24th of 2013 through September 10th, 2013, I had an initial phone call from a woman who gave me a name, um, used a particular name, just, uh, saying that she was a DCSS social worker. Um, I listened to her, and she gave me two options. Uh, she said that my son, who has special needs, had accused me of hurting him and his younger sister. I have two kids from the same dad, and we, um, I, uh, I knew I had done no such thing and wanting to comply and listen and whatnot and knowing that it was not true. I, you know, I just asked her to please tell me what she needed me to do and not do and figuring that this would be resolved straight away. Um, her two options to me were that I give my children to the state, that the police or somebody would come and pick them up, and or to their father. I really never dealt with anything of this volume, and I took it very serious. So I said, no, of course, I, I don't you know, have dad. I'll take them to dad for now. And long story short, as the months went by, I, the situation worsened as far as I ended up not being able to have my kids. I never, I had to, you know, this social worker asked me to stop uh, child support straight away while the kids were with their father for the duration of this supposed investigation, and I did it immediately. Um, then she asked me to take parenting classes and anger management classes. Um, I literally enrolled myself, took them straight away over the course of about two and a half months. I got certificates for them. The world is literally torn upside down and inside out in every way a person could imagine, emotionally, mentally, physically. I was deteriorating at jumping through the hoops that this person asked me to do. Um, and a little further down the line, I, I just I knew something was really wrong. I was asked to do certain things. I did them all. In the meanwhile, I was able to see my kids only through uh, father and girlfriend uh, at the time. Their, their final say of who would be able to supervise my visitation with my kids. And that was um, on Wednesdays and every other weekend. It just seemed really, um, it wasn't solid. It didn't make any sense, but I, I kept going with it. Um, and through this time, finally, I, I started feeling like I was recognizing voices and whatnot, and I was asking for, you know, I need, if you're a social worker, please come visit me. Please come see the type of person I am, see where we live, X, Y, Z. And every other time was an excuse as far as, you know, I have a really heavy caseload. We just moved offices. I won't be able to. Um, the sooner, you know, we get this all resolved, you know, the kids have said that you, you, you do, you know, you thank them, which was not ever the case. And, um, so things just progressed, and there was always some sort of an excuse as to why this social worker would not come meet me. So then I offered to go meet her, go to their offices, whatever I needed to do. I just wanted to have my kids back. And nothing gave. There was no budge. I received paperwork finally, uh, a very thick stack of what looked to be, and for me, someone not knowing what I was looking at. It looked like legal documentation asking me to sign over my kids in any shape or form that I could. Um, I reached out to certain people because I just needed a second opinion and help, which in the end it led me to contacting you. And from there I was informed um, that certain phone calls are made to actual DCFS and there was no 
social worker that existed through their system by the name of that I was given from the get-go. There was no phone number. There was no name. They ran socials. They ran everything. And there was no open or ongoing or pending. There was no case with what I was fraudulently misled. And these people um, had, in fact, impersonated, a, you know, made up a social worker. And over time, we also found out that they did, in fact, impersonate a real social worker. So there's just been all kinds of findings throughout this past almost two years now. Um, there is a criminal ongoing open investigation, which all parties involved are aware of, um, and an actual open investigation as well through the Department of DCFS because they did, in fact, in addition to making a social worker up, used a real social worker's name as well um, to get me to not volunteer at one of my children's schools at the time. Um, So through the help of you, Vince, and your law office, I have been able to find the strength, go to court, and fight to undo what was done. I have had successfully my kids completely with me again. Um, Dad's father was stripped of all his rights, and currently his current wife, they got married five days before the hearing that a court that ended up being, it was supposed to be two days, ended up being four days. Um, they all lost all of any rights as far as uh, legally to the kids. There is very specific, no contact or communication for several of the family members because we are not sure who was and wasn't involved quite yet. And that is so, my story. Okay, so... Basically, what we have from your story is is that someone impersonated a social worker, a county social worker. That person made you give up custody of your kids to the father, or that alleged social worker made you get up custody of kids to the father. And then you found out that this uh, person perpetrating to be a social worker uh, was, not, in fact, not a social worker and was just... Um, I guess, pretending to be a social worker so that uh, the father could get custody of your children. And when you said that you had, okay, and you had to go to court and um, you had to actually go to family law court, not to juvenile court. You had to go to family law court to straighten all of this out. Correct. Is that correct? Okay. And now, I'm sorry? That is correct, yes. So now, through the family law court, you have 100% custody of your children, right? Yes, I have 100% sole legal and physical custody of both my children. Okay. And currently, the father, uh, the judge has allowed the father visitation in, what is it, one time per week or something like that? The hours and dates have lessened, and he has... uh, he does have visitations. However, the judge ordered that they be uh, supervised by a monitor and at his expense. Okay. You know, Helen, when I first met you and I listened to this story, I found it hard to believe. Um, I had never, ever in my you know almost 29 years of being a lawyer had heard of anything like this. But do you know that... Um, I have subsequently found out that this particular scam or fraud against a parent has been used before, and um, it is not something that uh, was new to social workers or the Department of Children and Family Services in Los Angeles and in another county. So apparently, um, people sometimes uh, pretend to be social workers to gain an advantage or to... uh, Somehow, how should I say it? In one case, I heard about um, they were uh, 
trying to extort money. So the reason oh, why I wanted you to, yeah. the, the reason why I wanted you to do on is because I wanted you to tell your listeners so or tell our listeners so that they might be aware and make sure that the people they are dealing with show the proper content. I get a lot of clients who tell me, you know, a social worker who happens to be a real social worker called me or came out to my um my house and they refused to uh give me any identification or um even a business card and then when I later read about it in the um in the social worker's report from court I read that you know the social worker has said that the client was not uh, cooperative and didn't want to follow instructions but yet this person didn't even ident- properly identify themselves uh with a business card or with some type of county ID so Helen, I want to thank you for coming on this morning, um, and I appreciate that and sharing I thank story. you. I thank you again, and if I could briefly say, yes, you're right, and I apologize. I left that out in the middle of everything. Um, but they did also, in addition, one of the things that I was asked to do was to give father um, money that I got that he owed in arrears for child support. And ultimately, I ended up also giving signing over uh, benefiting, being beneficial for my son's social security. So I ended up giving a good lump sum of money to father through this process. Um, so I apologize. I left that part out. There's just been so much that has been asked and done and, right. you know, long right. process. But I thank you, Vince. Uh, thank you. So through this fraud, you lost custody of your children um, and you lost thousands of dollars. Yes. Um, And in hindsight, you know, so much was done to the children immediately uh, afterwards. We put them into therapy and they are doing amazing. That is, if anybody has said it, you know, and through your help and support, um, they're doing great. They both, my son has started reading independently. Again, he has special needs. He's doing, you know, academically, he's doing amazing. His his IEP states that and his you know, endocrinologist, his medical status quo now is just, he's doing amazing. As far as my daughter, she has been a little angel as well, and she is academically straight A. So I have been very fortunate to have the best support team legally and the best support team for my children throughout their school in this whole process because the only ones really affected are, are the kids, in fact. Okay, Helen, well, thank you for calling in. And I'm going to take another, one more call um, before we try to wrap up today. So I'm looking at the call in queue. I'm going to take a call from area code 661, number ending in 57. Good morning. You're on Blog Talk Radio with Attorney Vincent Davis. What's your question or story you'd like to share with us this morning? Um, you talking to me? Yes, I am. Good morning. Yeah, oh, thank you, Mr. Davis. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm in a dilemma here. Um, I'm a 62 year old man and was in a relationship with a 31 year old young lady. Uh, she got pregnant and she thought that she had an affair with a young kid who's 19 year old. And she got pregnant, and uh, she told me about it. And um, you know, we talked, and we forg- you know, I forgave her, and we kept, you know, said, "Okay, I'll take care of you and the baby." Of course, that would be my baby. Well, she uh, nine months go by. She goes, she has the baby, baby girl, and uh, my uh, my significant other. She's uh, she's to uh, drink and she likes to smoke pot, and also like to do crystal meth in this Antelope Valley, Lancaster area, it's very, very easy to, you know, to do this stuff here. But anyway, she had the baby. Uh, then uh, the next day, of course, I went to visit her the first day and the next day. And then DCFS was there because the child came positive from, from marijuana and other stuff. And they're going to take the baby from her. So I stepped in. I said, that's my baby. I'm taking the baby with me. You're not taking my baby nowhere. And uh, then my 
other half, she said, well, it might not be yours, might be somebody else, you know, the other kid. And I said, it does not matter. It's still my child. I'm taking her home. So DCFS, the lady, she told me, okay, just give me your information, sir, and I'll get back to you. We'll settle this and go from there. I gave her all my information. I was, you know, I left the hospital, of course, because we're screaming at each other, me and the young lady. And then uh, they decided that to send her with the baby to her dad's house. She didn't come back to my place. Okay. And so I did not mind. It's okay. You know, dad is okay. And, uh, we go to court, and they told me I need to go to court, and so I went, and uh, they told me that I need to do a DNA test, and I did, and uh, they tried to get a hold of the kid. They finally got him, and they told him to do the DNA test also, and so in uh, the baby was born in November 19, and uh, December uh Nineteen. Sir? I did the DNA test, and then, sir? yes, sir. Can I interrupt? May I interrupt you, please? Sure. Um, we're running out of time this morning for our show. Is there just a short question that you can ask me? Uh, yes. They they manipulated my DNA test to exclude me as a father. The Children's Services and the Lab Corp Corporation. I got a, finally, I, I, seven months later, eight months later, I saw the baby, and the baby looks like, just like my baby from my second wife, and I couldn't believe it, and I looked at the pictures, and I started looking at, at take pictures with the baby, because... Hold on, hold on a know. second, sir. Are you saying that the social worker manipulated the DNA test? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I have on. it in black and white, and hold you on can tell the manipulation. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Have you had a DNA test, a subsequent DNA test, that proves you're the father? Uh, I'm going to, but the problem is they will not talk to me. They dismiss me because I was dismissed from court as, as that, you know, not the father. And uh, the baby is not with my, my, my other half. She's, she, uh, uh, did drank or something happened, and they took the baby from her. And the baby, thank God, it's with her brother and her sister-in-law. They're taking care of her. It's uh, and then no chance to see the baby. Uh, she turned one year old. They won't let me see her. Of course not. And you know they dismiss me as a father. But everything else, okay. everything else that I looked at, and the baby looks, and everything's from my side of the family. It's it's, it's it favors us, and I know. Uh, 99% that, that is my baby. That's for sure. But the okay, problem is I can't do another DNA test. They won't let me. Sir, I'm sorry to yes. interrupt you, but we're about to run out of time. I'd like you to stay on the line because I'm going to be giving you some information, and I want you to contact me or contact my office today and make an appointment to further talk to me about this situation early next Absolutely. week. Okay, Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Just stay on the line while I wrap the show up. And yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Um, today, I, I want to wrap up the show, and I want to tell you that there are three things that everyone has to do that is dealing with uh, CPS or DCFS cases. First, you, you have to make sure you have good legal assistance. The second thing you have to do is you have to educate yourself. Um, we have, or I have written a book an ebook um, that you can get a copy of from my uh, law office. They'll email it to you. And it explains the juvenile dependency court process. It's about 70 pages. It was written for parents and relatives. It was not written for the lawyers or judges. The third thing you have to do is you have to vote. In California, judges are elected. Exercise your right to vote. That's how we effect effectuate change in a civilized society. My phone number is 888 My website is fightchildprotectiveservices.com. My email is d at bwdlaw.com.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.